To see the other two verses, you have to come back and cycle through them once. We sing that song at my house quite a bit. It keeps keeps me, keeps my daughters, keeps us from getting frustrated. We all make mistakes. Now, there's a difference between a mistake and a sin. Or another word for sin might be a misdeed. Those are inten- misdeeds are intentional. A mistake is not intentional hurt or rebellion. And everybody does misdeeds. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the cool thing is, that doesn't mean that Jesus can't save us. And we also all make mistakes. But But our mistakes don't prevent God from using us. In fact, God can use me, God can use you, despite our mistakes, to accomplish great things. And that's who we've been looking at in the book of Judges through the summer. Now, one of my favorite parts of some movies, especially like caper movies or stuff like that, is usually near the end, there's a spot where all the, all the cronies get together and the head guy is saying, okay, we're going to go steal this diamond or whatever it is, and this is how we're going to do it. And then it shows how the plan goes off flawlessly. Everything is timed perfectly. And the guard goes around the corner and then they come around and they shut off the laser beams at just the right time and everything just works out smooth and they get the diamond or whatever it is they're trying to get. And then you and you think and you watch this and you say, wow, they did it. And then it flashes back to the room where all the people are and he says, that's just how we're going to do it. And then it goes for real and of course everything gets screwed up along the way. Somehow they still manage to pull it off or sometimes they don't. But it Plans don't always work out as we plan them. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect plan. And that's why we always may be a bit unsure. But God can still use me in the plans that we put together. We're going to look at the Judge Deborah. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5. Scriptures will be up on the... uh, on the board, or you can follow along on version if you're using that app. Or if you have your Bible, you can turn to Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hazareth of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, because Jabin had 900 iron chariots, and he harshly oppressed them 20 years. Deborah, a prophetess and the wife of 
Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. Now she's, before I do this next verse, I was taught all growing up that this man's name was Barak. Then we had a president whose name is Barak. I think he knows how to say his own name. <laughs> she summoned Barak, son of Abinohim, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go deploy the troops on Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men from the Nephtalites and the Zebulites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots, and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. But Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. I will gladly go with you, she said. But you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take, because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. What we see here to start is a hesitant response. Again, the Israelites are in under the control of a of another country. God has allowed this to happen because they've sinned, not just made a mistake. They've done such something intentionally against God, and for 20 years they've been under this king, and this king has managed to get some iron chariots. So apparently he is allies with the Philistines. They've got all the iron. And so when the people are repentant and it's time for them to be delivered, Deborah calls Barak and she tells him, God wants you to go fight. Here's the thing. Sometimes Barak gets the raw deal here. But we can't assume that everything that Deborah says here is the word of the Lord. Because Barak counters with, this is my way of putting it, doesn't God want you to go fight? It's a fair question. Who's the judge? Barak or Deborah? Deborah's the judge. Who's been leading all the troops up to this point to free Israel? The judges. Barak is not the judge. So she says, hasn't the Lord called you to go fight? And he says, hasn't the Lord called you to go fight? Now, it makes sense that they'd have this confusion. Deborah is not a person of war like Barak. He's the general. He's the leader of the troops. She's a judge, but she's a settler of disputes. She does that under the palm tree, not on the battlefield. So in some ways, she kind of knows what she's good at and not and knows what he's good at. So who's supposed to take charge? She's also a woman. And the armies of Israel at this time are not like the armies of Israel today. When I went to Israel, and at one point the Israeli defense force got on our tour bus to check us out, and there was this woman with her machine gun. There was women in the army, in the Israeli Defense Force. That just didn't happen back then. Women didn't serve in the army. They especially didn't lead in the military. She also doesn't want to dishonor Barak. So if I go out there, 
that dishonors him, maybe, as a man, as a leader. She doesn't want to take honor away from him. But here's the thing. She says, if I go, a woman's going to you know, get the honor, she basically says. And I think, I can't be certain on this, but I wonder if she's thinking, I will take honor from you, Barak. And what's really going to happen is neither one of them get the honor. It's still a woman, but neither him nor her. So they're unsure, and they're rightly unsure. Who's supposed to be in charge? We've got these cultural things and, and, and experience. It kind of reminds us of our scripture today in John 3.16. That's Nicodemus and Jesus talking. Nicodemus is totally unsure. He was a teacher of the law. And yet here's this Jesus guy saying something that sounds pretty, at least intriguing. You go talk to him. I'm not sure. Go talk to him at night. You ever been out in the woods or maybe in your backyard if you have squirrels and try and feed a wild animal? Sometimes you're kind of unsure. And once they get used to being fed by people, they'll come right up and you got to watch your fingers. But lots of times wild animals are unsure because they want that food, but they don't like us. Hesitant. Sometimes that's the way we are when God asks us to move. I really want to obey you, God. I'm just not sure. Maybe Mary Ann's better at it than me. It's a thing. Just because God tells us to do something, confidence is not automatic. Confidence is not an automatic thing. That's why we come together at church. One of the reasons. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We come together because we're not always confident. And so we come together to say, You know what? Guess what? Wendy, you can do it. And then somebody else, Glenda tells me, Paul, you can do it. We stimulate each other because we're not always sure. I have on my whiteboard in my office this kind of continuum. On one end of the continuum is fear. To make it all sound like I call this one cold feet, when we're not doing anything. We're too afraid. The next step over from cold feet is confusion. It's doubt. No longer afraid, but I'm just not sure. Then in the middle is belief with unbelief. It's, there's concerns. I'm no longer confused. I'm just not, I don't know how it's all going to, I still have some things. That I'm going to do it, but I don't know how it's all going to work out. And in that middle spot, that's where Christ meets us, where we have concerns. That's, that's where the man in Mark 9, uh, 23-25, when he has his child has a demon, and, and Jesus says, all things are possible for those who believe. And he says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> I believe you, but I'm not, I still have some concerns, because your disciples tried to cast it out, they couldn't do it. I still have some concerns. I think I'd even put Thomas there. We call him Doubting Thomas, like he's back here. 
that he doesn't believe yet. But Thomas believed. He followed Jesus. He believed Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Thomas believed, but he had some concerns because he also saw Jesus die. I have some concerns. And so I'd like Jesus to address my concerns. I'd like to see the nail holes in his hand and his side, his feet, and touch it because I still have some concerns. I need Jesus to meet me. And when Jesus meets us there, we can move to confidence. Now I'm okay. I can do it. Now, we don't want to go one step further. This is conceit. I can do it all by myself. That's too far. I want to do it with God. Where are you? Cold feet? Confusion? Concern? Confidence? Or conceit? Not automatic. But Jesus meets us there. Because God uses unsure people. So let's continue on. Verse 9. It says, So Deborah got up and went with Barak, with, uh, Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, had moved away from the Kenites, the sons of Hobab, Moses' father-in-law, and had pitched his tent beside the oak tree of Zanan. There's a lot of ends in there. Zananim, which was near Kadesh. It was reported to Sisera that Barak, son of Ahinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera summoned all his 900 iron chariots and all the troops who were with him from Hazareth, of the nations to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone before you? So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord threw Sisera with all his charioteers and all his army into a panic before Barak's assault. Sisera left his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and his army as far as Hazareth of the nations, and the whole army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a single man was left. Now the story goes on. And here we're going to see a humble response. Now, the net, my final two points are a humble response and a heroic response. And really, these two points could be switched either way. Because the heroic response is the humble response. But look at the humility. Deborah went... She took her place as the judge, but she didn't take charge of the army. She didn't say, okay, I'm going to go. You're the four-star general. I'm the five-star general. She still maintained her place. She, she, she let him lead, but she came. It's also humble in that neither Barack or Deborah get the final kill. So Sarah escapes, and he's actually killed on his escape. But Israel is still delivered, even though neither Deborah or Barak make that final kill. It's also humble in that they didn't just go out to battle. They waited for the Lord to go before them. They waited for the Lord to set up the situation 
And then Deborah says, this is the day, let's go. And they went. Now you might think, how did he set himself up? How did Caesarea set himself up to be defeated? It says, Barak went up to the mountains, and Caesarea saw him up there, and now chariots are no good in the mountains. You need kind of flat land for chariots. And so he set himself up in the wadi. Mistake. It's flat. Wadi, though, is where the river flows. It doesn't flow there all the time. And so he brings his heavy iron chariots to the wadi. They're stuck. That's why he flees not on his chariot, which is fast, but he abandons his chariot and runs. All his iron chariots are stuck there. The Israelites knew the terrain. So Barak can come down from the high ground and just wipe them all out. Chariots are no good if they're stuck in the sand. They're stuck in the mud. It's a humble response. Now, shortly after I met Bruce, he uh, came to me and he said, you know, I've never been baptized. I said, okay, well, I said, tell me, what do you believe about Jesus? And I don't have an exact words, what he said. I'm, I'm looking for some key things when I ask somebody that question. And the key things he hit on is that Jesus is God. He was fully God, but he became a human being. He lived, he died on the cross, and he rose again. And I trust in his sacrifice for my salvation. It's not the exact words he used, but he hit all those points. And I said, well, you're a believer. And even for the short time I know you, I can see that your life is changed. That yeah, I read the Bible that says believe and be baptized. You believe. Sure, I'll baptize you. But we also didn't want to do anything to get Bruce sick. Bruce was fighting cancer and having chemo, and his, his immune system was down. Sometimes we baptize people in Tanner Lake. It's not a clean lake. But we also have our baptismal here. We were trying to figure out what can we do to follow Bruce's faith and not make him sick. So one of the things I did is I bought I had a big bowl and I bought some hyssop. I said we might sprinkle Bruce. We were coming up with options. But it was interesting. Bruce reminded me of when I got baptized in third grade. When I was young, I had asthma really bad. So for me, getting a cold could mean going to the hospital and being in like an oxygen tent. You couldn't breathe. And so when I wanted to get baptized, my dad said, why don't you wait? We don't want you to get sick. So I could really relate to what Bruce and Inga were feeling. Went through it myself. But he had the same response I did as a child. If God wants me to get baptized, God can keep me well. It's a humble response. I'm just going to obey so we got the tank, we set it up, he was baptized in a great day. It was a humble response to what God wanted him to do.
that humble response is that move from I have concerns to I have confidence. But it's not confidence in myself. Well, my body's so strong, I can take it. It's confidence in God. Jesus is so strong, he can take it. When I share about Jesus and my faith in him and what other people can, the faith that other people can have in him, I don't share because I'm such a great orator, because I tell such great stories. I can share in confidence because the Holy Spirit is already working in people. Sometimes we share material needs with, with people in our community and we give our offerings in church. Why can we do that? Because I make so much money? No, because God supplies all my needs. My confidence is in Jesus. That's why God can use unsure people. I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 5. And I'm just going to read a few verses here. Chapter 5 is Deborah's song of victory. And I'm going to read just a few verses out of that. Verses 1 through 5 to start with. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Ahinoam, sang on that day, saying, that the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. I to the Lord, I will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the fields of Edom, the earth quaked, the heavens also dripped, even the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. This Sinai at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. Jump up to verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and take away your captives, O son of Inuim. Verse 31 sums it up. Let Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the rising of the sun in its might. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years. Here's our heroic response. One of the things that Deborah says in her song is that leaders need to lead. She had to go, arise, Deborah, arise, Barak. Leaders need to lead. But the heroic response is also not taking all the glory for myself. She didn't say, arise, Deborah, see how great I am? Arise, Barak, you are the man. Arise, Deborah, arise, Barak, see how great God is? God's the hero. Leaders lead, but we don't take the glory. And volunteers need to work. Notice who she also mentioned in in her song, the tribes who stepped up, they're all commended. The people from the different tribes says, you came, you came. If you read the whole thing, you'll see that she names some tribes in her song 
that aren't mentioned in the battle. But each tribe did their part. Some tribes did their part by staying where they were. Because they kept the enemy from escaping. Everybody had a part. Not everybody was supposed to go out and fight the battle. 10,000 people went out to fight. Some people guarded the borders. Leaders lead. Volunteers work. God does the empowering. God gets the glory. Those of you who know me know I like comic book movies and and. The Netflix series uh, Iron Fist came out a while back, and the first season was not the greatest. But there was a really funny thing. So Danny Rand, our main hero, he has the power of the Iron Fist. He can do these extreme martial arts when his fist starts to grow and focuses his chi. And so the thing is, he had this done in some obscure place up in the mountains, and so... Where he was, everybody knows what the Iron Fist is, but now he's in New York City, and nobody knows what that is. And so he introduces himself. They say, well, what's your power? He says, I'm the immortal Iron Fist. And everybody looks at him like, so? And he does this continually through the first season. I'm the immortal Iron Fist. Big deal. What's the immortal Iron Fist? Now, they're impressed when they see it. Nobody cares. But once he learns to lead and gets a little humility and stops introducing himself as the immortal Iron Fist and just Danny, they get some stuff done. See, humility is the action I take because I have confidence in God. Heroic action is realizing who the real hero is. That's also God. And that's how God uses unsure people. Because God is always sure. See, I can be unsure about a lot of things in my life. Because life contains most things that are outside of my control. Life contains all you people. I can't control any of you. I can't even control this, my body, all the time. You know, Bruce and I had the exact same cancer. Why am I up here and he's not? Can't control it. I don't say this lightly because lives were lost, but life is sometimes like a pilot trying to fly trying to fly a 737 Max 8 jet. Got all the training that's required, but I can't control it. Because I can't control what other people do or have done. I'm not always aware of what other people do or have done. But here's the thing. There is one thing I can be absolutely sure of. Sure for myself. Sure for all of you. Sure of for everybody I meet. It's the same thing that Deborah and Barack were sure of. Even when they were unsure of themselves. Salvation comes through God. 
I can be sure of salvation through Jesus Christ. You know why? Because it's not my plan. It's not my control. I'm not the one that made it happen. God did. Jesus did. The resurrected king resurrects me. Let's pray. We give thanks to you, God, for you are good. Let all of us who are redeemed proclaim that you save us from sin and death. That you gather your people from all over the world. You gather us from wherever we wander in this life. You gather those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those whose spirits have filled within them. When we cry out to you in faith, you deliver us. You put us on a straight path and take us to the city where you dwell. Lord, we thank you that Bruce has walked to that city with you. Those of us with faith look forward to the day that we can be there with him and with you. And though we are unsure of so many things in this world, we pray for the assurance that comes through Jesus Christ to move in the hearts of everyone here. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, truly. Amen.